All right. Well, good evening, everyone. Welcome to our Wednesday night service here at Keith Heights Baptist Church. And, uh, boy, we've got a lot of folks out sick, and um, the weather was terrible tonight up here. I don't know uh, how it was where you're at, but uh, we had some pretty blustery weather a little bit ago, and power was kind of glitching on and off a little bit. So, uh, hopefully, uh, everything will go well tonight. And... Um, uh, don't have anybody in the auditorium except me this evening. So uh, I'm going to do something tonight that I don't get to do very often, and that is I'm going to sing some songs out of the songbook that we don't normally sing here. I usually try to pick songs that uh, are familiar to folks and that, uh, that people enjoy to sing together. And uh, some of these are old songs that uh, some of you may know, and uh, I love them. They're uh, great old songs of the faith. I love the old ones, and uh, but uh, I want to sing a few of those tonight. And uh, I don't get the opportunity to do this very often because usually uh, we have folks here that don't know the the songs very much. And um, so uh, hopefully we'll uh, do okay on them. We're singing without a piano tonight, and uh, you're stuck with me. So I'll do the best we can, and uh, we'll sing several of them this evening. If my voice uh, gives out, we'll go ahead and uh, start preaching and have our message for this evening. I appreciate you tuning in this evening and uh, your faithfulness. I know many of our folks homesick, and uh, folks, we've been praying for you, and my heart goes out to each of you. I understand and know uh, very clearly what you're going through, and uh, certainly our our thoughts and our prayers are with you, and I uh, just want you to know that we love you, and if there's anything we can do to be a help, please, please let us know. And we'll be glad to do that uh, and help any way that we can. Well, let's start tonight by uh, opening in prayer. And uh, then we'll sing a few songs and have our service for this evening. Father, we're so grateful and thankful for the privilege to be here tonight. We pray that you would bless the time that we spend together around your word. And Father, while we don't have folks here in the auditorium, it's a joy to know that many will either now uh, while it's live or later turn in and, and listen to it online. And, Lord, we're thankful that we live in such a day that this opportunity is afforded to us, that we have the privilege in this country to be able to uh, broadcast it online and let other folks uh, be able to watch it who are unable to be here. We do pray that you'll bless our, our church and the folks that are so sick, many of them uh, still recovering. And, Lord, we do ask that you would put a hand uh, of healing on them. And, Lord, some of them uh, very... Uh, high risk, and, and we pray that you would give grace there and uh, bring healing where it's needed. And uh, then, Father, that you would bless this service tonight. May it be a, uh, a blessing and a help to us. And I pray that you will challenge us from your word, that your Holy Spirit will guide and direct in the teaching of your word. And, uh, Father, that we can glorify you in all that we say, uh, all that we do here tonight. Our, our heart's desire, our purpose is that we would uh, press toward the mark, that we would grow, that we would come to your word hungry and thirsty for the truth, that your Holy Spirit would make himself very evident in our hearts and illuminate your word into in, our understanding that we can fully understand and apply it to our hearts and our lives. Lord, our, our heart's desire is that you'd make us more like you. And then, Father, as we grow and as we strengthen, as we learn more of your word, May you help us to be workmen that need not be ashamed, that we would be busy and diligent doing your work. And so, Father, help us in this area as we see uh, many signs that this could be very the very end of times. And I pray that you would help us 
to so much the more as we see the day approaching, be diligent and busy serving you. Bless uh, uh, those folks that are not able to be with us tonight. Encourage their hearts and strengthen them, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> I'm going to sing this song years ago. Um, I remember a, a, a children's home used to come to our church, the Florida uh, Children's Home. And uh, a fellow by the name of Dad McGowan was uh, the leader of the home and uh, just a dear old friend of our families and, and our church down in Florida for many, many years. And uh, oftentimes they would come and they would sing this song. And it uh, was always a blessing to me when I was younger. And uh, it's called Living by Faith in Jesus Alone. So I'm going to try my best to sing it. If you know it, sing along with us at home, all right? And uh, we'll see how well we do here. I care not today what the morrow may bring, its shadow or sunshine or rain. The Lord I know ruleth o'er everything, and all of my worry is vain. Living by faith in Jesus above, trusting, confiding in His great love. From all harm safe in His sheltering arms, I'm living by faith and feel no alarm. Though tempests may blow and the storm clouds arise, obscuring the brightness of life. I'm never alarmed at the overcast skies. The Master looks on at the strife. Living by faith in Jesus above, trusting, confiding in His great love. From all harm safe in His welcome, sheltering arms, I'm living by faith and feel no alarm. I know that He safely will carry me through, no matter what evils betide. Why should I then care, though the tempest may blow, if Jesus walks close to my side? Living by faith in Jesus above, trusting, confiding in His great love. From all harm safe, in His sheltering arm, I'm living by faith and feel no alarm. Our Lord will return to this earth some sweet day. Our troubles will then all be o'er. The Master so gently will lead us away beyond that blessed heavenly shore. Living by faith in Jesus above, Trusting, confiding in His great love. From all harm safe in His sheltering arm, I'm living by faith and feel no alarm. And boy, what a timely song for this day and age. Uh, with all the turmoil, all the sickness, all the disease, there certainly is so much out there that distracts us causes us to be afraid, and uh, I'm thankful that we as God's people have uh, the ability to anchor our souls to something that is steadfast and sure, that we can live by faith. We don't always succeed at it, but we ought to always strive for it, and I hope that we do. I, I hope that every day we strive to live by faith, trusting God, uh, even though we don't see the solution, even though we don't see the end of things, trusting that He does. 
And I'll tell you, one of the hardest things, I think, in the Christian life is to not worry and just put it in God's hands. And, um, you know, faith, the idea of faith, uh, my, my mom has a, a plaque that she found years ago. It's hanging in her kitchen. I think it is. I, she may have sold it in her little uh, business thing that she does. But um, faith is uh, not just believing that God can, but it's trusting that He will. And, boy, I love that saying. Uh, faith is not believing just that God can, but it's trusting Him that He will. And, uh, oh, that we can live by faith. You know, the Bible tells us we're to cast all our cares upon Him, for He cares for us. And uh, I'll tell you, I'm thankful we have a God that can take our burdens and we can uh, lay them at His feet. We can pray and uh, leave them at His feet and uh, let Him worry about them. Let Him deal with it. Uh, some of us are sick tonight. Some of us not able to be here. Some of us have other worries and problems that life had just thrown at us. And uh, it's wonderful to just be able to trust God and say, Lord, whatever your will in the matter is, we're willing to, to follow through with it. And so I hope that will be an encouragement to you. Well, this one is uh, another song that, um, believe it or not, that same children's home sang this song. And uh, it's called A Child of the King. And I love this one. I remembered hearing them sing it years ago. And um, these, these little kids, many of them without homes to go to, some of them had been saved from just unbelievable lives and uh, out on the streets, many of them, some of them in homes where their parents did not care or want them. And uh, they uh, were happy in the Lord. And they would come to our church, sing this song. I hope it will be a help and blessing to you. If you know it, sing along with me. Once I was clothed in the rags of my sin, wretched and poor, lost and lonely within, but with wondrous compassion, the King of all kings, in pity and love, took me under his wing. Oh, yes, oh, yes. I'm a child of the King, His royal blood now flows in my veins. And I, who was wretched and poor, now can sing, Praise God, praise God, I'm a child of the King. Now I'm a child with a heavenly home, my holy Father has made me His own, and I'm cleansed by His blood, and I'm clothed in His love, and someday I'll sing with the angels above. Oh yes, oh yes, I'm a child of the King. His royal blood now flows in my veins. And I, who was wretched and poor, now can sing. Praise God, praise God. I'm a child of the King. And man, I don't know about you, but that doesn't make you excited. I don't know what will. Well, what a thought. The King of all kings in pity and love 
took me under his wing. And I'm thankful I'm a child of the King tonight. And uh, I hope we rejoice in that. If you're here, to, if you're listening tonight and you, you're saved, you've trusted Christ as your Savior, uh, there may be trials, there may be valleys. You might be in one of those right now. But, you know, we can lift up our heads and rejoice and give thanks to God because this is temporary. I'm a child of the King. I, I was kidding with Brother Richard the other couple weeks, several weeks ago. Uh, found out that he's royalty, he's, he's wealthy, he's got... He's a child of a king. Yeah, we were talking about that. and we, uh, I like kidding with him a little bit on that. Because the truth of the matter is, if you're saved, uh, our Father owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And I'm, I'm ready for that time. I'm ready for the day for the Lord to come back and take us all home. I was talking with somebody just this week, and I'm telling you, I'm excited about the rapture happening. I'm convicted. I feel there's a sense of urgency to get work done and to reach people with the gospel before it's too late. Because, folks, once that rapture happens and that time comes, there's going to be an awful lot of folks that, some of them very religious, some of them even attend churches, some of them read their Bibles, some of them just forsake God and couldn't care less about the things of God. There's going to be some of them left behind, many of them. In fact, the Bible says that narrow is the way that leadeth unto righteousness, and few there be that find it. But broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be that go in their hat. And I, my fear, my, my heart's desire is that we be diligent in these last days, doing all that we can to share the gospel everywhere we go, telling folks about Him. And folks, time is of the essence. There's an urgency there. And so uh, pray that God will help us to have opportunity, that we'll seize upon those opportunities and take every, every time we can to share the gospel. Well, I, I don't know where I heard this song first, but it's a, a song that I like to sing when uh, things are uh, maybe um, not the best. Uh, maybe there's trials in our life. And uh, I think some of us could be in that boat maybe this week. Some of you homesick, some of you... Uh, with some discouragement, perhaps. And so uh, I hope that this song will uh, help you. This, again, not a song we sing very often. In fact, I don't know that we've ever sung this song here uh, in our church, but a great old song, and I hope it will be a help to you. Once again I face Satan this morning, and I battled him all the day long. But in my weakness, God sent reinforcements. And at sundown, I sang victory song. And the sun's coming up in the morning. Every tear will be gone from my eyes. This old clay's gonna give way to glory. And like an eagle, I'll take to the skies. Years ago, uh, we had a fellow by the name of Howard Jewell, a traveling musician and evangelist. Back at the last time I think he came to our church, he was in his mid-90s still traveling. He used to sing for Billy Sunday in his revivals years ago. I remember as a young boy, Brother Jewell coming to our church, and he would sing this song. And he'd get to that chorus, and he'd sing... This old clay's gonna give way to glory. And here's this 90-some-year-old man with a hanky in his hand. And like an eagle, and he'd start flapping those arms. 
I'll take to the skies. I'll never forget hearing him sing that and the joy in his heart as an older man who had been so many years in ministry. Listen to the second verse. In a world filled with doubts and confusion, it's so hard when you don't understand, but I'll stand on a solid foundation and I'll hold to an unchanging hand. And the sun's coming up in the morning. Every tear will be gone from my eyes. This old clay's gonna give way to glory. And like an eagle, I'll take to the sky. And I hope that's an encouragement to you. I love some of these great old songs. Well, uh, this song is, is very special to me. It's held a very dear place in my heart for a number of years. And um, Dr. Charles Weigel, I've mentioned him several times as an illustration in a sermon. But many, many years ago, his wife came to him, and he was a traveling evangelist preaching and was a talented musician, would sing many times at, at meetings and then preach. And uh, after several years of serving the Lord together alongside of his wife, his, his wife came to him and said that she uh, no longer wanted to be a part of ministry. And she told Brother Weigel, she said, uh, you have to choose between serving God or me. And uh, said, uh, I, I, if you're going to continue to serve the Lord, then I'm leaving you. And one of the great heartbreaks of his life and he said, I cannot forsake the one who has done so much for me and saved me from my sin. His wife left and he was heartbroken. And for five years, Brother Weigel did not travel. He did not sing. He did not preach. And after about five years, he was attending a camp meeting over in Indiana. And he was in attendance. And uh, the man that was conducting the uh, preliminary things of the meeting, saw him sitting out in the audience and said, Brother Weigel, I'd like for you, if you would, to come to the platform and sing a song for us. And Brother Weigel came forward in a, a slow gait and got to the podium and the platform where he was uh, to sing, and he reached inside of his coat pocket, and he pulled out an old tattered piece of paper. It was tear-stained and ragged around the edges. And he began to sing this song, No One Ever Cared For Me Like Jesus. And uh, if I can get through it tonight, uh, I'll sing it for you. If you know it, sing along with me. I would love to tell you what I think of Jesus Since I found in Him a friend so strong and true I would tell you how He changed my life completely. He did something that no other friend could do. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. There's no other friend so kind as He. No one else could take the sin and darkness from me. 
Oh, how much He cared for me. All my life was full of sin when Jesus found me. All my heart was full of misery and woe. Jesus placed His strong and loving arms around me, and He led me in the way I ought to go. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. There's no other friend so kind as He. No one else could take the sin and darkness from me. Oh, how much He cared for me. Every day He comes to me with new assurance. More and more I understand His words of love. But I'll never know just why He came to save me. Till someday I see His blessed face above. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. There's no other friend so kind as He. No one else could take the sin and darkness from me. Oh, how much He cared for me. Well, I'm going to go ahead and preach, but uh, before I do, I'm going to pause for a moment. And I am here by myself. I tried to get the stream to work, and I don't think it is doing what it's supposed to be doing back there. So I'm going to pause for just a moment, go back and double-check our stream. If it's doing okay, I'll come back up and preach. If it's not doing okay, we're going to stop the stream and give me about two or three minutes. We'll restart it and make sure it's doing right this time, and we'll have the message for the evening. So bear with me for about a minute or two if you're still listening, and we'll double-check those settings, make sure everything's ready to go. Okay, so I think we're ready to go with the video now. Uh, sorry you had to endure that with, uh, with no, audio or no video, but maybe that was probably a good thing. Uh, you didn't have to watch me through all that. But uh, we'll go ahead and keep on going then. Matthew chapter number 5 tonight, if you will. Matthew chapter number 5. And um, <clears throat> we're going to begin reading verse number 38. Um, I want to mention just a couple things here very quickly. Um, in Matthew chapter 5, we find the Sermon on the Mount. It goes from chapter 5 through chapter 7. And Jesus, we call it the Sermon on the Mount. And, and Jesus, in this sermon, uh, teaches the, what we call the Beatitudes. Uh, the blessed are the, the uh, uh, poor in spirit, blessed are they that mourn, and so on. And uh, then he has what we refer to as the similitudes. Uh, you're the salt of the earth. Um, uh, you're a city that's set on a hill. Uh, you're a light uh, candle, a lighted uh, candle. Um, and so he gives the similitudes. And the first part of his message uh, deals with um, what we are supposed to be inwardly. Um, the idea of being uh, something, beatitudes, the inner man. And um, the as he gets done with that part of his message, after he teaches them things that many of these folks had never heard. In fact, um, it was contrary in almost every case uh, 
to the, the traditional thoughts of society at the time. Um, and then as he gets through with the Beatitudes, what we're supposed to be inwardly and the similitudes, then he begins to teach us uh, how to do these things, the things that we're supposed to do outwardly. And uh, maybe, uh, maybe here one of these uh, days, maybe even later this year, uh, we might do a series uh, on the Sermon on the Mount because there's so many things there that God gives that are so practical that the Lord Jesus Christ teaches in His earthly ministry that are just practical things, uh, things that He gives us and says, this is what you ought to do, this is what you ought not to do. And uh, He said, oftentimes you'll hear it, uh, you've heard that it hath been said or um, it has been written or it has been said, uh, but, and he tells them what it should be. So things we ought not to do, things we ought to do. And so the latter part of this chapter, uh, all the way through to the end of chapter number 7, uh, are filled uh, with things that we are to do outwardly. And uh, understand, and I, I love the fact that he makes the important part, the first part of his message, it's foundational, if you will, to the latter part of the, of the message, and that is what we are on the inside. We teach that so strongly, so often here at the church, that while we preach on things we ought to do so that we know them and we learn them, they need to stem from what we are inwardly. And uh, these are not things we just tempt, attempt to put on on the outside like a cloak, but we want them to be literally the heart of God in us that is performing these things and doing these things outwardly. One of the great truths that we find in here is the truth of going the second mile. We're going to speak on that a little bit tonight. And um, it's interesting to me that uh, D.L. Moody, out of all the subjects that he ever preached on, he preached on the second mile Christianity more than every other subject combined. He spoke on this topic. Charles Spurgeon uh, taught his preacher boys that they needed to mark their calendar and preach on this passage at least four times every year. This was the importance that some of these great men of God put upon this particular portion of Scripture from the, the, uh, the uh, Sermon on the Mount. And I, if you will, let's begin reading in verse number 38. Jesus says, "...ye have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that ye resist not evil, uh, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also, and if..." Any man sue thee at law, and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak uh, also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Father, we pray that you'll bless the message and the service tonight for the next few moments. May your Holy Spirit guide and direct our hearts and our thoughts. May it be something that will uh, help us to become more of what we ought to be. Lord, that the inner man will be um, transformed that our way of thinking will be transformed by the renewing of our minds, by yielding ourselves to the leading of your Holy Spirit as He teaches us this truth. May we be putting it into practice and taking heed to it and not just being hearers of it. One of the great, great truths of Scripture found in this verse, so much so that really it almost becomes a foundation in and of itself for most all of the other things that Christ deals with in this message. That if we would learn this concept, this principle, this truth, many of the other things that he deals with will take care of themselves. And I pray that you would help us 
to become second mile Christians. And uh, Lord, that we would put forth that type of effort. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The practice of constraining someone to go uh, a mile uh, was begun under the Persian Empire, the empire that Daniel uh, served under and uh, was thrown into the lion's den for. And uh, the law was that if a man was on business for the king uh, or the country, that he could compel anyone to uh, uh, go with them and to do what they asked them to do for one mile. Later on, when the Roman Empire uh, became, came into practice or came into power uh, and defeated the uh, Persian Empire, the, many of the Caesars that were there um, began to, uh, they liked that concept and they began to expand on it. So much so that you could compel someone to carry a burden uh, or you could compel them to uh, uh, come and uh, be a, uh, some companion to you and, and do things that basically you needed them to do for one mile, and then they had to stop and rest. The problem with the Romans was uh, they said, okay, we can do that for a mile, and then if you want to, after a period of rest, they could compel you to go another mile, and then another mile, and another mile, and so on down the road. Uh, it got so much so in the Roman Empire, and uh, many of the, uh, especially a lot of the Jewish young men, uh, because they were so compelled by the Roman soldiers to do this thing, many of them would find the common places in the city where they were more likely or more prone to be asked by a Roman soldier to do one of these things, that they would take and they would mark off distances from that point on all the major roads and outlets. They would measure off one mile and they would put a marker there and they would oftentimes go that one mile and then drop the load and say, that's all you can require of me to do. In fact, uh, we see a, a, an illustration, a little bit of this illustration, even in the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ, as he's going down the road to Calvary, and the Bible says that he fell beneath the, the load of the cross, and the Roman soldier uh, told uh, Simon that, uh, of Cyrene that he was to carry that cross for the Lord Jesus Christ. And understand this, that he did not have... Uh, 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 the privilege or the opportunity to refuse that or to say no, it was the law of the land. He was compelled uh, to carry that cross under Roman law. And so we find that that was the case. When Jesus is dealing with this subject, he teaches his disciples, understand that this was something that the people felt were a burden on them. Uh, it, was, it was something that they did not like. They did not care for it. Uh, the fact that they were being forced or they were being made to do some things uh, and Jesus tells them, he, he tell, in verse number 40, uh, one, he says, Whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Now, in the context of some of the things that he's spoken of here, he speaks about, in verse number 39, I want you to notice this. He says this, But I say unto you that ye resist not evil. Now, keep everything in context, okay? Somebody would read that portion of that verse and say that Christians ought not take a stand against things that are wrong. Understand the context. He's speaking here of being treated in an evil manner, uh, being compelled, being imposed upon, being um, uh, people taking advantage of you. When that happens, this is what he's referring to in verse 39, that we're not to resist that. He says, uh, But I say unto you that you resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn him the other also. 
For a man will sue thee at law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also, and whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. So again, we understand the context of what Christ was teaching when he says, resist not evil. Now, the truth of the matter is, the day that you and I live in, we as Christians like to think that we are uh, not what we used to be. We're not of the world. And so our goal many times is to live a life in such a way that we are above uh, morally and, and spiritually and in holiness, that we try and strive to live a life that is, is, is higher than the world or more than the world is. The problem is, the goal is to live for Christ. And oftentimes we get satisfied, if we're not careful, with just being above the world, but we do not yet pursue holy after Christ. I want us to look at several areas of our lives that I believe that God teaches and the Bible teaches, especially in these areas, that we should be of the mindset of not just doing the minimum, not just going the, the, the very minimum that we need to do and then stopping there, but going beyond that. Uh, one of the areas I think that is, is crucial uh, in our lives is in our personal walk with God. Uh, that we uh, make this a matter of going the second mile in it. Uh, uh, oftentimes, we as preachers will preach and teach, well, we ought to have time with God every day. We ought to have time where we read our Bible every day. We ought to have time where we pray every day. And years ago, we used to call it having devotions. And uh, Mom oftentimes would ask us as kids, did you have your devotions today? And uh, I just want to make this comment because, again, if we're not careful, we will get in the practice of having devotions. And yet the whole idea of having devotions is that we have a time set aside where we devote our hearts to God. And I think sometimes if we're not careful in our walk with God, we'll get so busy having devotions that we fail to be devoted in the area of the devotions, that we fail to, to give our hearts to it wholly. I wonder what would happen if when we, when we came to God in prayer that there was more fervency, there was more, um, uh, uh, there, there was more uh, uh, specific praying, let me put it that way, uh, than what we do now. I found this to be true years ago in my own life, and the Lord brought great conviction and, and I'm not saying my prayer life is perfect. It's still progressing and hopefully growing. But one of the things that, that really bothered me was after I got done praying one night, I began to think about what I had said in the prayer and what I had done. And, and uh, I, I was using phrases that we grow accustomed to using in our prayers. And I would say, Lord, bless brother so-and-so. Or, Lord, be with... Brother so-and-so. Now, I will say this. If you're not praying at all, at least do that part. Uh, begin praying. But all that we would learn to pray more specifically and more uh, fervently with more uh, burden in our heart. And could I say it this way, that when we come to the Lord to petition anything of Him, that it be something that is burdensome upon our heart. And if it's not as burdensome as it should be, then maybe we need to get alone and say, Lord, burden my heart. Um, talking to uh, someone even today about a little bit about this subject of uh, the fervency of our praying. 
And perhaps we'll do a message on that one of these days in its entirety on fervency of praying. But when it comes to our walk with the Lord, our time that we spend in the Bible, do we really, do we really go the second mile in it? Or do we just come to the Word of God and say, well, I've done what was expected of me today. I've done the minimum. I've read. I, I've, I've done what I believe uh, I should have. And, well, I can go ahead and mark it off. You know, the, the psalmist so often, and uh, uh, you read through the psalms, you'll see so often he, he talks about the delight in God's Word. He talks about the delight in, in walking with God and, and speaking with God and knowing that God hears him and praying and meditating on God. And he speaks about the delight of his heart. He speaks in some places of the fact that if it was not for that, his very life would not even be in existence. He, he felt like the, the, the relationship, the walk with God uh, ought to be something that literally brought life to his bones. It was as mandatory for him and it was just as necessary for him to have this walk with God, this fervency, this second mile relationship with God that he felt it was more necessary and he even makes this statement than even his own physical food, his necessary food. When was the last time that we felt that our walk with God, our time spent in God's Word, the time that we spent in prayer, became more necessary and needful to us, more desirous even to us than our own physical nourishment. Oh, that we would learn to be second-mile Christians in the area of our walk with God. That we not just do devotions, but we, we are devoted to Christ. That when we come to Him in the early parts of the day, or whatever time it is that you have that time with the Lord, uh, I was talking to somebody just last week, and they were talking about how difficult it was um, in the evening hours after they had worked all day and the hecticness of their family and getting kids uh, put to bed, uh, how difficult sometimes it was uh, for them to have their prayer time and their time with the Bible, how tired they were and how distracted they were. And can I encourage you in this, uh, while I'm not saying it's wrong any time to, to walk with God, sometimes it's best if we do it in the mornings when our minds are fresh and our hearts are fresh, our, our bodies are refreshed, uh, our minds are probably the brightest they're going to be all day, especially as we get older. Our bodies certainly have more energy. And it allows us, as we come to God's Word and as we uh, meditate on Him, as we pray with Him and as we speak with Him, to put more fervency in it and to be more, more consecrated and uh, diligent in this area uh, of our walk with God. Our heart's desire ought to be for the inner man to be transformed every single day. That God would continuously strengthen and grow the inner man. And can I tell you this, when all we do is, is kind of give the haphazard attempt at our walk with God, all we're going to get out of it is a haphazard growth. A mediocrity at best. Take your Bibles with me. Look with, look me just over one page. Matthew chapter number 6. And Jesus deals with this a little bit further. In Matthew chapter number 6 and verse number 19, He makes this statement. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Notice this. Uh, where moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through or steal. For where your treasure is... There will your heart be also. 
putting our hearts into this thing. God understands that there are things that you and I will give ourselves to, that we will give diligence to, that we will go the second mile in, but the thing is that we have to consider, are they the right things that we're going the second mile for? What is it that we go the second mile for? Is it for worldly gain? Is it for notoriety? Is it for friends? Is it for uh, uh, perhaps our jobs, our work? If there's ever anything that ought to be paramount in the Christian life, that we ought to be striving and not just doing the bare minimum of, but going the second mile up, it ought to be the things that are the closest to our hearts. And that ought to be the, the walk with the Lord. Look with me in Colossians chapter number 3. Paul deals with this same issue. Colossians chapter number 3 and verse number 1. <clears throat> Colossians chapter number 3 and verse number 1. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. And God's instruction to us is that the things we ought to desire, the things we ought to put our hearts into, the thing we ought to give fervency to, are the things that are above, the things that pertain to God, the things that pertain to our spiritual growth. Look with me, if you will, in Mark chapter number 12. Mark chapter number 12 and verse number 30. Mark chapter 12 and verse number 30. God tells us, and Christ tells us, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God. Notice this, not with some of our heart, not with part of our heart, not haphazardly, not just giving Him the token love that we owe Him, but he says that we're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and with all of our soul and with all of thy mind and with all of thy strength, for this is the first commandment. Can I tell you this? We could sum all four of those alls up into this, going the second mile in our walk with Him. If we're going to love Him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength, we're going to have to do more than just the minimum. We're going to have to pursue Him in our walk with Him more than just the status quo. We need to be a second mile Christian in the area of our personal walk with God. Number two, we need to be a second mile Christian in the area of our testimony. Look with me if you will in Romans chapter number 12. Romans chapter number 12, a very familiar passage. Many of you can quote it. But I say this, we mentioned at the beginning of the message, that many of us are content, many Christians are content, to just live slightly above the world. We can look back and say, well, I'm not what, what they are. But are we really pursuing Christ? Is, is His example, is, is our growing to be more like Him of the highest priority of our life? Is it the thing that our hearts long for? Is it the things that we are passionate about, that we love more than anything, to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? That's our great desire of the day. When I wake up in the beginning of the day, I, oftentimes I have a long to-do list. I have things to do on there. Is that in, in all of the things I do that day, is the very top priority of my day to be drawn closer to the Lord, to be more like Him, to be growing in the Christian life? Is it the paramount thing in my life? 
And sad to say, even in your pastor's life and many of us that, that are Christians and name the name of Christ, many times more often than not, it's not the highest priority. It has some priority maybe in some of our lives. But is it paramount? Romans chapter number 12, Paul writes about this. He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. By the way, God has every right. Paul says, I'm asking you these things. And, and listen, when I'm asking you this, I want you to consider what God has done for you. Folks, when we consider what God has done for us, nothing that is asked of us is too great. Nothing. And so Paul asks, he beseeches, he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies. God doesn't demand it. God doesn't, God doesn't come and say, if you don't give me your body as a living sacrifice, then, then I'm not going to do all this stuff for you. I'm going to judge you and you're going to be in trouble for that. God expects or wants or desires for you and I to willingly, because of what He's done for us, because of our love for Him, to take our bodies and say, Lord, it's yours. All of the things this body wants, all of the things that this body desires, it belongs to you. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. And I want you to notice what he says here. Holy. We, we, we often quote this verse. And we say the word holy. Do we understand what Paul's asking here? That in the area of our holiness, our testimony, our outward conduct, that we yield it to God absolutely and say, you have all of it. How's our testimony? Many of us battle this, the idea of, I want to, I want to be Christ-like, but only the minimum. Only enough that when the world looks at me, they think, okay, there is a difference there. There's something different in his life. But is that enough? If I'm to yield my body a living sacrifice, that means I do not have say-so in my life. He does. And when it comes to my living outwardly, the holiness that God expects from us. Do we just give it a token attempt? Well, you know what? Uh, I'm going to try to, to live this way and be somewhat pleasing to the Lord. But, you know, I am human and, and you know, I'm sure God understands. Well, wait a minute. Now we're just saying I'm just going to give it the old college try. I'm going to give it an attempt. What we're saying by that is I'm going to just go the one mile. I'm going to give what's just kind of expected. Notice what Paul says here. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your, notice this word, reasonable service. The idea of taking our life, our bodies, and laying them on an altar and saying, Lord, not my will, but your will. You have all of it. My testimony outwardly, I want it to please you. 
Not some of the time. Not most of the time. I want it to please you all of the time. I don't ever want there to be a time that this body and what it does brings a reproach to you. I want there to be holiness here. Do we achieve that all the time? No, sad to say we don't. But can I urge you with this? When we don't achieve it, don't let it be because we were just doing the minimum. If we're going to fail in being perfect and holy like God is, and we will, let it be with us doing everything we could to try to be holy. Let it be with us giving every ounce of strength of will and character saying, I want my testimony to bring people to Christ. I don't want there to be anything about me that would be a hindrance to someone in the area of the Lord Jesus Christ. If there's going to be a failure in this area, let's not let it be because we just did the minimum. We just gave it an, an effort. Let's make it that it happened in spite of the fact that we were giving everything we could to be this way. To be sanctified, to have a testimony for the Lord. Paul says, this is just our reasonable service. Asking someone to give their life a living sacrifice and then for us to miss the word or skip over the word or not really think about the word when we say it, Holy. Does not excuse the fact that this is just what's expected of a Christian. Did you know holiness is not for the exceptional Christian? It's not the for the extraordinary Christian. It's not for the the the, the heroes of the faith. Holiness is expected of every child of God. We live in a world where even in our churches we're excusing and we're justifying worldly and ungodly living in the lives of Christians and excusing it by saying, well, God knows my heart. He does. He does. And when he sees a Christian like that, he says, there's a Christian that's only going the one mile. Oh, he's put his faith in me. He's going to heaven, but he's just done the bare minimum. Oh, oh, that we could learn. And that God would call it to our heart's remembrance regularly and throughout the day. How often we get to the end of our day and we look back on it and see all the things that we could have done so much better, so much in line with God's Word, so much more pleasing to Him, so much less uh, being a, a detriment to His cause in the eyes of this world. We need to be second-mile Christians in the area of our testimony. And number three, we need to be second-mile Christians in the area of our service. The area of our service. 
Turn with me to Colossians chapter number 3 again. Colossians chapter number 3, and let's look in verse number 17, if you will. Colossians chapter 3, verse number 17. Paul says this, And whatsoever ye do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. We're supposed to do everything as if we're doing it for the Lord. And by the way, when we are serving God, guess who we're doing it for? We're doing it for the Lord. I, I've been in, in ministries, I've been in, in colleges, and, I, and I, I want to be careful how I say this because I don't mean this in a critical way, but I mean it in a way that we need to understand the truth of this, that oftentimes we are pushed and pressed and, and, and um, uh, impressed, if you will, uh, peer pressure to perform service for God, and we only do it because we're worried about what someone else is going to think. Or we only do it because we want somebody to pat us on the back and say, boy, look at all these things that you've done for the Lord. May God deliver us from those types of things. Because when we serve God, it ought only be for one person, for His glory. It ought to be for His approval. The only person we ought worry about when we serve God is what does God think of my service? I don't care what someone else is going to say or think. Oh, it may hurt my feelings if somebody says something bad about me. But can I tell you this? When it comes to our service, the only one we ought to be concerned about is what did God think. I wasn't going to bring this verse, but it just popped into mind as I said those things. I, I want you to look at it with me, if you don't mind. Turn with me to the book of Galatians, chapter number 1. Galatians, chapter number 1, and verse number 10. Galatians, chapter number 1, and verse number 10, Paul says, For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. In other words, if all I'm after is trying to get men's approval, then the service that I have for God, it's, it's going to be vain at best. It's going to flounder. And I, I'm thankful that God's Word doesn't return void. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that oftentimes, in spite of our intentions and in spite of our motivation, God still uses the preaching of His Word. But oh, how much more God could deal with the hearts of men and God could use it and bring fruit for our labor if it was done with the right heart and the right spirit. Look with me, if you will, to Philippians chapter number 4. Philippians chapter number 4. In verse number 13, Paul says this, and this is the mindset we ought to have in our service for God. He says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And how many times are we worried about the... Uh, opinions of man and what their thoughts are, but I want to bring out this point. How oftentimes we serve God and we do it in our own strength. We come up with really great ideas. We sit down and we think, boy, I could do such a promotion and I could do uh, this thing and bring people in and I could share the gospel with them and I can do this and I can do that and I can do this and I can do that. And the problem is we need to get the I out of it. Because the only thing you and I can do is be obedient to share the gospel. 
Paul said, some have watered, some have planted, some have watered, but God giveth the increase. Can I tell you this? When it comes to our service, and Paul learned this in his ministry, he said, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Not, not by Paul's intellect, although he was probably one of the most well-educated out of all the apostles. Not because of Paul's strength of character, although you look at his life and you see the character that this man had throughout all of his life. Paul said, when I am weak, that he's able to be strong. He's able to use me in spite of myself. Paul understood that if anything was going to get done, it was only going to be because God had strengthened him to do the work. Look with me in Galatians chapter number 6. Galatians chapter number 6, and we're almost done. Stay with me for just a few moments longer. The problem with sitting at home and watching this is when it turns 8 o'clock, you can turn me off. I wouldn't even know it, but uh, bear with me just for a moment longer. Galatians chapter number 6, and look with me, if you will, in verse number 9. The Bible says this, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. You know, one of the problems with our services, we're usually worried about what other people are going to think. Another problem with our service oftentimes is I can do it by myself. We need to only worry about what God thinks. We need to rely upon His strength to do the service. And then number three, we need to persevere. Be not weary in well-doing. It doesn't say that you're not going to be tired, but don't get weary. I was talking to a good friend of mine, Brother Kenny Baldwin, years ago. We were getting ready to walk out uh, onto the platform and preach at a youth conference. And uh, I said, Brother Kenny... Are you ready? And he said, ready or not, here we come. And I said, are you tired? He made a statement I'll never forget. He said, Brother Greg, I'm tired, but I'm, I want to be tired in the ministry, but I don't ever want to be tired of the ministry. And I tell you this, when it comes to our service for God, there's going to be some physical weariness. It takes effort. It takes work. And there ought to be some weariness in ministry. But oh, that there would never be a weariness of the ministry. That we would never get tired of it and, and say, boy, I'm just too tired to serve God anymore. One of, the, one of the saddest passages, I think, in Scripture was found in Jeremiah chapter number 6. If you will, take a moment to turn there. I'd like you to see it. Jeremiah chapter number 6 and verse number 14 Jeremiah is having God speak to him. God's telling him some of the problems that are here in the nation of Israel. And he makes this statement in verse number 14, speaking of false prophets and false priests, priests that would not preach the whole counsel of God. He made this statement in verse number 14. They have healed also the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly. May it not be said of you and I when it comes to our service for God that we healed the hurt of this world slightly. 
oh, that we would be second-mile Christians in this area of serving God. That we would be diligent. That we would put forth the effort. Not just get up and say, well, you know, uh, I, I think I'll, I'll do something for the Lord. If He'll just show me what He wants me to do, I'll, I'll do it. Can I tell you this? There were three men that Jesus spoke to. All three of them said, Lord, we will follow Thee whithersoever Thou goest. But can I tell you this? Only one of those three men were ever called by the Lord Jesus Christ. I would encourage you in this. Bloom where you're planted. Serve God everywhere you go. Don't sit back in a day and say, Boy, I'm just waiting for God to show me or to open a door. Get busy serving Him. Somebody said years ago, if you can't shoot, carry bullets. Do something. I know some folks that are not able to get out. You can pray. You can be a second mile prayer warrior. You say, Brother Greg, what would I pray for? Pray for lost souls. Pray for those that are able in our church, in our ministry to have the power of God on them to reach people with the gospel. Pray for your pastor. Pray that God would do a blessing and a work in this church to make us to the place where we can reach more and more people with the gospel. We're living in very last days. I firmly believe this. If there's ever going to be a work done for the Lord, it needs to be now. If we're ever going to see people saved and share the gospel more than we ever have in our lives, it needs to be now. If a man compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. After God dealt with what they were supposed to be inwardly, He said, okay, this is what I want you to do. And of the things that He said, I want you to do, perhaps the greatest out of all of them, is to go the second mile. I hope that will help and encourage us. I hope it will maybe uh, convict, challenge, motivate perhaps for you and I to rededicate ourselves and kind of say, Lord, I want to I renew my commitment to be a second mile Christian in these areas. And hopefully that will be a help to you. Thank you for hanging in there. It's a little bit past 8 o'clock. Let's bow our heads in prayer and we'll be done. Lord, we're so thankful for Your Word, how it instructs us and guides us. Lord, so many areas that we look at, the truth of the matter is, even when we looked at verses like Romans chapter 12, the truth of the matter is what you consider to be just reasonable. Lord, many times we're not even reaching that standard. May we not just be reasonable in our service. May we not just be reasonable in our testimonies. May we not just be reasonable in our walk with you. May we exceed. May we go the second mile. May we put forth the effort. Help us, Lord, in these areas. May your Holy Spirit guide and direct us and prompt us. May he recall these thoughts and these messages and these truths from this passage. May He recall them to our hearts and our minds often throughout the day that we would not quickly forget them, 
but that we would apply them and give heed to them, to put them into our hearts and our lives, that they would become a part of us. Father, help us to grow. Help us to be more like you. And Father, help us to be busy and diligent doing the work you've called us to do. Bless those that, again, are at home tonight. We thank you for the privilege of being able to come to them by way of the Internet and pray that you would help it even though they're not here in the the room and oftentimes there's a difference there. May the message have come through. May the urgency and the burden of my heart and the, 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 the Spirit of God that is so intent on us understanding this truth, may He have worked through it and done a work in the hearts of those that will listen tonight. Dismiss us with your blessings. Thank you so much for being our God and allowing us to be your children. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.